Okay, Boker Tover in the Gemara Tez Zion Ahmed Aleph and Moyed Cotton. So, last uh, week or so, we've been discussing, uh, and we've just concluded the discussion of the three the similarities and differences between the mourner, the mitzora, and the person who's been excommunicated. So now, what the Gemara is going to do is now goes fully into the idea of excommunication. And it's going to have all kinds of rules and laws of why we excommunicate someone. And the first of the reasons is if a person does not come to a summons to court, if he summons to court, summons to court, he doesn't come to court, he should get excommunicated. So the first thing we're going to ask is what are the Torah sources for this? So now, can you think of any case in the Chumash where someone was summoned to some kind of a bezdin where there was some kind of disagreement and and someone or more than one person was summoned to a bezdin and uh, that they did not want to come to the bezdin now that's Horror? who Horror? you're very close you're you're in the story oh, wrong guy <laughs> But you're 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 nearly there. It's the same story, just the wrong guy. Okay, but that's good. It's good. That was the real only machlokas that there was. Okay. So Amarava, Rava says, Minolan, how do we know? That we send an agent of the court and we summon the defendant to appear before it for court. That's the first step. First, you have to. How did we summon someone to court? The guy's wife. The guy with the wife. Told him not to. No, 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 no. You. Okay, okay. You will. You will see now. So, how do we know the court is permitted to issue a summons through an emissary, so that the judges need not demean themselves by personally inviting the defendant? So that's the first thing. How do we know we can send an emissary? as the pasuk says. In the Machlokas with Korach and his group, it says, Vayishlach Moshe Eliyav. Moshe sent forth to summon Dosan <coughs> and Aviram. So you see that he sent somebody to them regarding that whole Machlokas. Moses was considered a court? I don't know who else could be no, a court. No, no, but, but if Moshe is not a court, no, who, who is who? He is the giver of the Torah. In that case, King Saul summoned David. No, that wasn't summoning. That wasn't to a court. He wanted to kill him. Right. Okay. Well, this yeah. mo- the guy has a machlokas. He's saying we're going to rebel, and Moshe says, "I'm summoning you guys to court." Okay. Now, obviously, Moshe, who along with Hashem, constituted the court. And they sent forth Korach, in other words, the court's agents, to summon Dosan and Aviram, okay, to appear before them for judgment. Okay? So now we're going to have a lot of laws are learned from this Pasuk. So clearly Moshe sent for, to call Dosan and Aviram to discuss the issue over here. You guys are claiming that I'm not the leader. Well, that's a pretty important issue that has to be resolved. Okay, that's number one, that we can send an agent. 
Net number two is Minalon de Mizamnan Ladina. If we're to know that the court summons the defendant to appear for the judgment, the first thing is to send an agent. And second thing is, how do we know the judges can force a person to come to the courthouse rather than going to him? Guy says, you got a problem? Come to my house. Why is it we have to, where, from where do we see that you have to bring him to the court? Dirsiv, as the Pasuk says, okay, we have different parts of the Pasuk over here. Okay, let me just get it all in over here. Okay, uh, the full pasuk says, "Vayomer Moshe al Korach atova chol adoscha hayol lifnei Hashem atova heim v'aron mochor." Moshe says to Korach, "You and your entire assembly be before Hashem, you and they, and Aaron tomorrow." Okay, now we're going to learn a lot of things from this pasuk. Number one is, how do we know that we tell him he has to come to the court? It says, Vayomer Moshe al Korach. Moshe said to Korach, You and your entire assembly have to come to Hashem tomorrow. So Hashem and Moshe are the court. And that judge, Korach, and his group. Okay, that's first lesson. Number two is, How do you know that we must inform the defendant that he's to appear before a judge who is a great person. Okay? Dirsi, because the Pasuk says, Lifnei Hashem, before Hashem. I mean, obviously Hashem is not the person over here, but we'll learn from that, right? If the court includes an outstanding jurist, the defendant should be summoned in the name of that individual in order to give that jurist honor. The proof is that although Moshe also served as a judge, he had his agent, Korach, summon the complainers to appear before Hashem rather than before us because you have to give the greater person the, the credit. Okay? So when he says, Lifnei Hashem, so he's... Now the next question. At Uplanya, how do we know that the agent informs the defendant, you and so-and-so, the plaintiff will appear in court? So how do you know the court's agents reveals to the party being summoned the name of the plaintiff so the defendant can attempt an out-of-court settlement or prepare his case before appearing to court? Okay, interesting. This is not like, you know, it is today where uh, they first, pre-trial, pre-this, pre-that, all these things. The guy comes to court and may not, and okay, we're starting the trial right now because that's the way it should be. But at least you let him know who the plaintiff is to know what, maybe he can solve it out of court and this and that. But uh, he gets a little information, at least who he's dealing with, doesn't come out of left field. But uh, you get right to business over there. So anyways, who's the plaintiff over here? Dirsivit says, who should come? Ata, you, Vehem, and then Korach and your assembly, the Aaron and Aaron, and Aaron is the plaintiff. Okay. Now, how do we know you establish what time that they have to come? How do you know you have to give a specific date? Okay. The court sets a future date and does not confound the defendant by requiring that he appear immediately. Does he have to come that minute? 
Now, it's not, again, not six months in advance. You'll see how much advance warning they were given. Tirsiv, Moshe says, Mokhar, tomorrow. <laughs> Come tomorrow before Hashem. So one day to prepare himself. In other words, they don't just drag him into a court out of nowhere. Okay, let's say, okay, tomorrow, two days from now, whatever, come to court. When courts were opened on Mondays and Thursdays, so to speak, so if it was, they could say, okay, today is Tuesday, come on Thursday, whatever, something like that. Now, what happens if you don't show up the first time? So how about Zimnan, Basar Zimnan? How do we know that if he doesn't come, when he was asked, we set another date? Okay, in other words, we don't excommunicate him immediately if he misses the first trial date. Okay, we so we ask him again. Now we have to go somewhere else because by uh, Korach, there was only one trial date. They came and that was it. But where do you find another trial date? So this is something a little bit different. This Pusik is dealing with Yirmiyahu. And Yirmiyahu is prophesizing about the downfall of Paro, the king of Egypt. This is way later. This is versus Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, before the, the second, first temple was destroyed, the two major powers was Bavel and Egypt. Okay? And the Davi is prophesizing that Paro is going to lose. Okay? In this verse, Paro's enemies officially excommunicated him. For despite his bluster, he failed to appear at the time appointed for a battle against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, we want to have a battle over here. And it was already postponed once before. Now he's not coming again. And now the king Nebuchadnezzar is excommunicating Paro. Now, what's that worth? You know, maybe, you know, they're cutting off diplomatic relationships <laughs> or whatever. From here we see that excommunication is not warranted until after the second missed appointment. Right? Uh, all right, so that's one way they're learning. And they're questioning, you know, how the language, as we'll see, I mean, how does that prove that? But others explain the proof differently. You may have prophesied Nebuchadnezzar would attack uh, Egypt on a certain date. When Nebuchadnezzar failed to appear at that time, Paro summoned Yirmiyahu there. The Egyptian masses reacted with joy because the time had come and gone and there was no attack. However, another Pusik makes it clear Hashem established a new date for the confrontation. Thus, from the fact that Hashem himself set a second date, we derive that an earthly court must do likewise. But this was supposed to be a battle, not a court. But, but it, it really, it's the same thing. And remember, Hashem is the one who orchestrates all this. So Hashem is like, so we, we, Hashem is the one who's orchestrating, so we have to follow that, so to speak. And clearly Hashem was judging that power was going to get wiped out. So there's all kinds of ways of judging. The bottom line is, what's the end of a court case? Something is decided and acted upon. Okay, so Hashem... He, 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 you know, what's going on right now is a big court case in Shemaim right now. Boy, is there a court case in Shemaim. And the Malachim are having a whoa. And the Malach of, the Malach of, 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 of Yishmo and Esav and all these, they're all mamish thrown every pr prosecution against the Jewish people. So uh, so what, what are you going to know? There's going to be a decision. Who's going to make the decision? 
not the UN, and not any bozos on planet Earth. Hashem is going to decide who's going to win, who's going to lose, you know. So if Hashem does that in world affairs, certainly a lower court should be able, a regular physical court should do the same thing. So that's the idea. So the Pesach said, Karu Shom Paro Melch Mitzrayim Sha'on They called out an excommunication against Paro, and he's let the appointed time go by. Okay, now, next. Umin, oh, I don't want that. Let's go on to the next one. Umin Olon, and from where do you know, Di'im Mispakar Bishlicha Deveidina. And how do we know that if the defendant, uh, you know, says bad words against the court's agent, vilifies, okay, uh, or vilifying the court, okay, Va'asi, Va'omar, this is what he says in his vilification, and and, rela- and he says, Lo mischazi kelish nabisha. So now if the guy coming back, the agent says, you know, I, we called him the court, and he told us to go jump in the lake. So now, how do you know the agent's allowed to come back and say this, even though it's Lashon Hara? Okay, all right. Like he, he he could just say he's not coming, but he so he vilified the court. So now you might say, well, why do you have to why do you have to say the Lashon Hara? Well, we see you can. because when the agent came back, he said the response of Dawson and Aviram to Moshe. What did Dawson and Aviram say? They said it in an unusual way. Okay. Even if you would gouge out the eyes of those men, they're talking about themselves. We shall not go up. That's a kind of a strong uh, response. Even if you gouge our eyes out, we're not coming. Okay. This distressed Moshe. That's the Pusik says. How could Moshe, the judge, have known that Dustin Aviram were so insolent when they sent the message, unless the court agent told them the whole story. Okay, anyway, uh, Rashash questions this reasoning. Perhaps Moshe knew through Nevoah. How do you know that the agent came back, Moshe's a Navi? So that's an interesting question the commentaries discuss. Now, usually you're not allowed to speak disparaging of another person, even if the statement is true. Surely Moshe's agent would have observed this halacha and would not have issued this report without the court's permission. The verse thus teaches that in order to prevent people from vilifying the court and its representatives, disparaging reports such as this are permitted and do not constitute forbidden slander because they are undermining the authority of the court. And the court needs to know who is undermining. This is what you call Lashon Harlet Toeles for a benefit. You cannot have people besmirching the court. And more than that, where do you learn the Vishamtim? And now now we come to what we really were starting from. How do you know you excommunicate a defendant who doesn't listen to the summons of the court? There's a machlokas, exactly what the meaning is of the word Mishamtim of Shamta, which has been translated here as excommunicate. Miriam maintains it's a generic term for either of two levels as excommunication. That's going to be a whole thing we're going to get into in the next few days. There's two forms of excommunication. The milder one is called nidui, and the more severe one is called cheirem. So we could use a generic term of shanta, 
Okay, and so that's a, a one way. So anyway, but that's a whole discussion which we'll get to probably tomorrow. But so how do you know you have some mild form of excommunication doesn't appear? Dirsive now comes going to now the words of Devorah. When Devorah and Barak were successful in defeating uh, the Canaanim, okay, now Devorah had, uh, Barak had called people from all over to join in the battle and fight with them. Now, there was, now it's going to be a discussion who this exactly is, this, this entity called Mayrose. And it says, she said, Oru Mayrose, curse Mayrose. So that's a form of excommunication for not responding to the uh, call to battle. And for this we derive that excommunication is a punishment for not following an official summons. This is the full context of her, what she says. Cursed Mayros said the angel of Hashem. Curse, cursed are its inhabitants for they failed to come to aid the nation of Hashem, to aid the nation of Hashem against the mighty. Now, the identity of Meros is going to be discussed. Okay, what, what that means. Simple meaning is it's a person or something, but we'll see what it is. But anyway, you see, they didn't come. Now, okay, you're going to say it's a war, but still it was coming something that the court says we all have to come. And the Hagi Savra Gav. So that's number one, but we'll see exactly what's going to happen over here. Uh, now, Another question, from where do we derive that an excommunicate must be informed regarding this ban? Okay, so the Pasuk said that this is the decision of a particular great man. In other words, the sinner must be excommunicated in the name of the sage who authorized the ban. Otherwise, he can't be held accountable for disregarding the appending ban. So you could argue that he thought the agent issued the ban on his own initiative. However, once the sinner is advised that the band's author is a great stage, but still rejects it, then he deserves whatever punishment he's going to get. Could be when the guy says, we're, we're going to put a band under you under the auspices of Rabbi so-and-so. I said, what are you talking about? I never heard of this Rabbi so-and-so called me. They never told me this. Okay, then come. In other words, you get like a last chance. You should know what the um, charges are against you that you that you did not come to a great man's judge's calling for you to come. So if he has to be clear. So how do you know it is? Again, Dixis, as it says in that same passage we just read. Omar Malach Hashem. It says, said the angel of Hashem, that his Meros was informed that his ban came by order of Barak, who was the angel, but not angel here, it means an agent of Hashem. So now this is coming from Barak, who's called an Amalek of Hashem. Okay, now, Uminalan Demachmarinen. And from where do we know we can impose a Cherem, which is the highest level of excommunication? So, how do we know that? Because that comes with the term cursed. Okay, so, so how do we know that after the sinner has twice ignored an order of Nidui, the court now imposes Cherem? He's called once, we call him again. He doesn't come the second time, he goes under Nidui, lower form of Cherem. He doesn't come again, he now is in the highest form of Cherem. 
which is, in addition to enduring physical separation of four amos and a mortal curse, that's the lower level, the sinner is banned from all forms of interpersonal benefit. No one may study with him or hire him or be hired by him, etc., etc. That's what we were talking about the last few days. That's a higher level. How do we know all that? Dechsev, back to that Pasuk with Devorah. Oror, for it says, cursed, cursed. Okay, like a double expression. So in other words, there were two 30-day bands. Cursed, cursed. Cursed Meros. Three times, really. Oru Meros, cursed Meros. Oru, curse. Aror, cursed. Why three curses? Because first one Nidui, second Nidui, third Cherem. That's the order going on over there. So now, now we understand what gets a guy to go into Cherem, at least insofar as not appear, appearing before a court when you're summoned for something or, even, or to come to battle, which is no different than a court issue. Who's issuing that you have to go to war? It's a court. This is the law of the land. And the law is you have to do this. And one of the most important things is you got to help defend your country. So if you don't, that's going against what the court is telling you to do, or, or at least even coming to the court. So therefore, you can get the highest form of ban. Okay, now that we know how a guy gets himself into this mess, now that we've been discussing all the various halachas that apply to a person who has been excommunicated, let's look for the sources for that, and we'll discuss what are the provisions for this. So here comes the How do we know? that one who eats and drinks with an excommunicate, that he's not supposed to do that. And stands within his four amos, is acting improperly. In other words, anyone who's really socializing with the fellow, he's going against the ban. It says again, by cursed, it says the word Yoshveha. Cursed is Meros, cursed are its inhabitants. That means Meros' companions. They are cursed in that they are included in the excommunicate's ban in the sense that they are forbidden to socialize with him. Furthermore, the court at its discretion, depending on the severity of the excommunicate's malfeasance, may impose other restrictions on his companions, such as prohibiting them to pray or recite benching with him. So this is where you get this whole idea when a guy will not, not give his <coughs> excuse me, will not give his wife a get this is what we're talking about. You're putting the guy in a type of a cheyram. He can't get an aliyah, etc., etc. That, that's what the things we're doing over here. Okay? So that's why we're saying we can't do that. How do we know we publicly specify the transgression, why he's being excommunicated? Again, if we wouldn't have that uh, specific text, we think maybe that's part of Lush and Hard that you're not allowed to say. Deceive, because the Pasuk says, and she says, why? You didn't come to the aid of Hashem. Now, right now, the more thinks that Meros was a general who refused to come to Barak's assistance with his troops. So that's right now the thing. Okay, so you spell out exactly what he did wrong, and this Meros right now seems to be a general and he is excommunicated for this reason. And Ula adds, Barak excommunicated Meros with 400 shofars. 
okay, and the 400 shofar blasts ensured that there's everyone's going to hear about it. When you blow 400 trumpets, they'll say, whoa, there must be an important message going on over here, and word will spread. This is one interpretation of who Mayrose was. He was a general. But there's always not clarity in the Chumash. So Igadamri, some say that Meros was a Gavarabo, was a great man. Okay, let's say this general. However, there's a whole different interpretation now coming up. Igadamri, some say, Kochavahava, that it was a constellation. Whoa. Okay, Meros was Cicero. Cicero was the enemy general. It was his constellation which controlled his fate. Remember, the Goyim are controlled by Mazal. There is Mazal to Goyim. There's no Mazal to the Jews. Again, what that means to say is that when Hashem uh, controls what goes on in the world, he has a hierarchy, and from the highest realms, Hashem makes the decisions. Then they finally get down to the lowest of the highest realms, which is the constellations that are meant to, uh, what do you call it, uh, do carry what Hashem, out. carry out what Hashem wants. So the once that hits that constellation, so that was Mayrose's, uh, Mayrose was the constellation of Cicero. Okay, so, and therefore, doesn't mean to say the constellation has its own power. But no, it was just that's the constellation that Hashem does control. While on the other hand, even though that can happen to Jews, but Jew can always pray and, as they say, dodge the bullet. of the When it reaches the constellation stage, we can dodge the bullet. So some say that it was a star and uh, that gets cursed, uh, a constellation. Shenemar because it also says over there, it says in, in Sefer Shoftim, it says, Mina Shomayim Nilchamu HaKochavim. From heaven, they fought the very stars, in other words, from their orbits, did battle with Sisra. Okay, the Mazolos turned against Sisra. So they all went against him to cause all kinds of havoc. Uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, things that happened to the environment. Some say it was a tremendous heat and the hoofs of the horses melted and they got stuck in the water and this and that. So everyone was fighting against them. So some say it's a different meaning. Of course, if you're learning, it's, it's the constellation and what's going to be the proof that we gave before, but that's a second interpretation. How do you know the Mafkarin and the Chasei? How do we know that we can make all his property Ownerless, if he disobeys what the rabbis say. Wow, that means they can make everything he has hefker. Now, you don't have to do it, but I know the best could say, listen, everyone could just take the stuff from him. Can you imagine? Guy's got money stashed in his house. Everything's hefker, just go in his house and overrun the house and take everything that's in his house. That could get a guy to comply. So it says, the Pasuk says, Vechol asher lo yavo lishlos hayamin. Whatever does not come within three days, as proposed by the prince and the elders, all his property shall be confiscated and separated from the congregation of the exiles. This was Ezra, 
was trying to get the people, the Jews were coming back with their non-Jewish wives. He said, you got to divorce your wives. So they said, we're coming back and you have three days to get rid of your wives. Or guess what? We're taking everything you have. That would be a way to get things done, right? So if guy, imagine if a guy wanted to marry out and the, and the court could take away all his money if he married out. I wonder how much you do for love. Okay, that's an interesting uh, thing. All right. And from where do we learn, did not see none, that, uh, that the court may, at, at their discretion, contend with disobedient individuals. In other words, to argue and fight with such people until they realize what they've done. And more than that, and they curse and strike him. You really get go after this guy. The guy's not willing to listen. You you smash him. You this, you that. Again, the Rambam said, the guy doesn't want to divorce his wife. You just keep hitting him until he agrees. And more than that, and we tear out his hair Whoa, to humiliate him and compel him to swear that they will not repeat their transgressions in the future. They didn't fool around with these schmooks. The Yixiv, as it says, So I contended with them, this Nehemiah, how he dealt with the guys who married the non-Jews and didn't listen. So I contended with them and I cursed them. I beat some of them then and tore the hair and I placed them under a ban. Okay. And how do you know? That we tie the guy up? Asrinan and and we tie him to a post in order to give him lashes if he doesn't listen. Avdinan Hardafa and we perform quote unquote pursuit, which will be explained in a minute what that means. Dirsive the Pasik says again same thing in uh, Ezra. Okay, this was the letter of instruction, and it says Anyone who does not fulfill the law of our God and the law of the king, judge yourselves to be swiftly executed against him, whether to be put to death or uprooted or to be punished with loss of property or with imprisonment. This was a letter of instruction and authorization issued by the king of, of Persia, to Ezra upon the ladders ascent to Eretz Yisrael. In the previous verse, the king had empowered Ezra to appoint men who know the law as judges. And then he's saying what they're able to do. And what is finally my lishroshe? What does it mean to uproot? They can uproot them. Amar Adamari, Amar Abchina Barbaruch. He says, Amar Abchia Barav and Amar Abiyuda, all in the name of that person. Hardafa, when it says Hardafa pursuit, it, it means Hardafa. Good, but we didn't know what Hardafa meant. So now, my Hardafa, what is Hardafa? What does it mean, pursuit? Meaning, we excommunicate the disobedient individual immediately. And we repeat the excommunication after 30 days if he has not repented. Should we put him in harem after 60 days? That means we pursue him, keep going after him, one after another, after another, after another. Okay. So you see, courts did have some power at that time.
It's, it's the job done. All right. Shkoyach, everybody.